ever so often, our newsroom gets wind of a train derailment. And a lot of the time, it's a cargo train, a few cars go off the tracks, nobody gets hurt, no big deal. But depending on what that train is carrying, it can become a very big deal very quickly. Right now, a massive fire is burning near the Ohio-Pennsylvania border following a train derailment that happened nearly 24 hours ago. Officials have urged the entire town of roughly 5,000 people to leave their homes. Those in the red area are facing grave danger of death if they are still in that area. Officials there detonated derailed train cars to allow a controlled release of a volatile and toxic chemical. After a Norfolk Southern train carrying toxic chemicals derailed in East Palestine, Ohio on February 3rd, 2023, there were major questions about whether it would ever be safe for residents to return to their homes. There was also anger over how the train company and the federal government handled the response. So nearly a year later, with assurances from scientists that there is no danger, and promises from company officials to make things right. The question is, is anyone buying it? My guest this week is CNN's Jason Carroll. He has the story of how the derailment divided the town while new safety laws remain stalled out in Congress. From CNN, this is One Thing. I'm David Rind. Jason, what does East Palestine look like now, almost a year after that toxic derailment? It's a lot more quiet and a lot more divided now than it was. The first time I got there was just basically right after the derailment. It was there and off, off and on for about two months following that, just doing continuous coverage. And it was toward the end of our coverage there that we began to notice this divide there. And what I mean divide, those who were at that time just starting to say, you know, that uh, Norfolk Southern was getting in there to do their best to make good on their promises to clean things up. EPA was doing their best to clean things up. And, you know, there's there was definitely a group of people there in East Palestine that felt as though the time was to stop talking and just get on with it. And just to set a baseline, what does the EPA say about the condition of the town, the air, the water, all that stuff? Well, look, the EPA, the state EPA, federal EPA, uh, has been testing the air, the water, the soil, and they have said consistently throughout the past year that their tests have shown that the air, water, and soil is safe. Now, having said that... Right, do people feel that way? Not everyone there for sure. And so you'd have three groups, those who have left, those who are staying because they feel like they economically have no other choice, and those who are committed to staying and committed to making uh, East Palestine reach its full potential. So tell me about somebody who stayed. We met with the Albrights, a family of five. They've got three young daughters. How would you define what this past year has been like for you two? Hell? <laughs> yeah. Um, to sum it up. That's, that would be great. Um, we've They were happy to be back in East Palestine, happy to be back in their home. And then one of their children started having these adverse health effects. 
So the one night she fell asleep with just like a little sports bra, so like her you know belly was exposed, and she woke up that morning with a rash all over her torso. Um, then my middle daughter, the minute we would walk in the door, within five minutes max, her nose was pouring blood. And I don't mean just like a little bit. I mean, she would fill the sink. She would fill the toilet. And Chris Albright says he's been suffering from, you know, adverse heart conditions and things like that since being back in town. They economically fall into that group of folks who feel as though they can't leave. Hmm. They economically can't move on. Just too expensive to go find a house somewhere else, and this is kind of where their life is. Too expensive. She is still working. He's not working. He's worried about his long-term health care. I I thought that I was going to be gone within a year or two. And that's a scary thing to face. I mean, I got a little girl in there. I want to, you know, I want to walk her down the aisle. I want to watch my kids graduate from college and stuff. And And does he chalk that hard stuff up to the derailment? He does. And I asked about that. And here's the way they put it. Before the derailment, this was a healthy family. After the derailment, that's when they've seen these adverse health conditions. And on February 2nd, everybody in this house was fine. There was not a single prescription medication. Mm -hmm. And even his doctor, his cardiologist said he'd be hard pressed to say there's not a correlation. Now, someone might look at their situation and say, is it because of something in the water? Is it something in the air? Or is it simply stress from what's happened? Who knows? You can't say for sure. But uh, this family says the Albright say you can't deny what they've been experiencing. Your, your, your thoughts about Norfolk Southern at this point? I can't say it on TV. <laughs> um, I'm very, uh, very displeased with how they have handled things. Um, and again, Uh, You know, I have to keep saying the EPA has said, you know, look, we're continuing to do the testing here. Uh, Norfolk Southern, just so we are clear here, gave us a statement and they said in part from the very beginning, Norfolk Southern made a promise to make things right in East Palestine. One year later, we're proud to say we've made significant progress towards keeping that promise. And then they go on to say that since February 3rd, they say that they've invested $103.2 million into the community, including $21 million dispersed directly to residents. But it's the long haul that folks are really, that are really worried about 10 years out, 15 years out or longer. Mm. What about people that evacuated and has still not returned to East Palestine? What are those conversations like? Yeah, that's very tough. And, you know, I spoke to one young woman who has a young son. She's been living in a hotel about 45 minutes outside of East Palestine, uh, off and on since February 3rd. Yeah, so I've been trying to find a new lease elsewhere um, for, for a few m- months now, <clears throat> and it's just been challenging um, to find the time to do it because I'm, I'm with my son all day doing his online school. Um, and it's You know, really you, you go to this hotel room where you've got a mother and her young son living in this hotel room. You can imagine what that's like, trying to, even trying to cook a meal in a situation like that yeah. is unsettling. What do you want to do going forward? I want to move away. Um, I, I'm, I'm not comfortable with the area, nor the area that w- that was shown by the EPA five months after the fact to be heavily contaminated. That's not also not been addressed. I still don't really feel well when I go down there. It's not as intense, but usually when I smell it, I get I still get very nauseous and um, I get dizzy and disoriented and a lot of the teeth pain. 
Um, and I asked her, I said, if there was an opportunity for you to go back to East Palestine, would you want to do that? And she said, no, mm. no. The fear of the unknown is just too great. It's the fear of the unknown. And it's, I think for some folks, it's not wanting to go back to a place where they feel as though there's no future for them. Oh, let's it's take a basic, look. Let's yes. take a look. I think of Edwin Wong. You know, he owns a manufacturing plant literally right next to where the derailment took place. I mean, you open the back door to his plant. So in between the truck and our building, there's a big pit. You look outside and just several feet away is where this derailment happened. Mm. And in fact, there's still cleanup taking place on the site of his plant. Nobody wants to work here. No one wants to work. No. No, because we got, you know, seven people sick, okay, by working here after the derailment. They all come back with doctor's notice, you know, it's, uh, uh, they have been uh, affected by the chemicals. So this business here is ruined? It's, it's killed. It's killed forever. And also, um, we lost the trust of our customer as well. Not only has his plant shut down and he can't get workers to get in there, he can't even sell material out of his plant because as soon as people find out it comes from East Palestine, they don't want oh, any, they don't want anything. They're like, hey, isn't that where that toxic train derailed? Exactly. So every time they hear about product coming from East Palestine, you get the second question: Well, is it safe? It's a beautiful dream, you know, by running two plants in the same town to service our customers better. And only one night, this dream become a nightmare. I think one of the things that really surprised me when this was first happening was realizing, you know, how loose the regulations are around railroad and train safety in this country, especially when it comes to hazardous materials. So have we seen any changes on that front in the past year? No. Uh, the short answer is no. I mean, but what has come about is the Rail Safety Act. Let's talk about this now with the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. Mr. Secretary, so... The problem is, even though it seemed to have so much momentum, and we've seen this before in so many other situations, so much momentum initially coming off of the heels of that disaster, it's been stalled. Well, I can't speak for Speaker Johnson, but I am concerned about the influence that the railroad industry lobby has here. Uh, look, we pushed hard for this. And, the, the and that lobby is the type of legislation, I think, that, that would have made the rail industry... Uh, safer in some ways. It definitely would have put tougher regulations on how rail cars are transporting hazardous materials. Isn't it true that the that that the punishment for an airline for being like a half hour late or an hour late is worse than the punishment that can be given to uh, a railway for a, a, a crash that has a fatality? It can be. Even in an extreme situation with an egregious violation, the most that my department is able to penalize a railroad company is in the neighborhood of $200,000. I think we all know... I think when you hear from the transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg, I mean, he made it clear that he feels as though, you know, their hands are in some ways tied in terms of what they can do to go after and punish some of these rail corporations. And I think there's a lot of frustration on the part of people in East Palestine 
A, because it it took Pete Buttigieg, you know, in their eyes too long to get down there and get on the ground initially mm. after this had happened. I've just kind of been losing hope in any kind of authority figure at this point, just because we have been completely abandoned. So that's first. Second, they feel as though President Biden could and should be doing more. He still hasn't been down there. Still hasn't. That's correct. Still has not been down there. I mean, that makes us feel left behind, not important. You know, we had a a very toxic train derailment here that dumped, you know, so much, you know, so many chemicals into our system and nothing, no response. I mean, when we talk about the divide in East Palestine, there's definitely folks there in East Palestine who say, that these people who are talking about these illnesses and talking about not feeling well and looking for a way to economically sort of move on are folks that are just complainers. People have been told to clean their house, suck it up, and move on with their lives because they weren't affected. They're not having health concerns, so nobody else should be either. You'll talk to folks in East Palestine who say, look, I've never been sick. I've never had a problem. You know, these are people who are just trying to game the system. These are people who are just Debbie Downers. Not everybody's body responds to everything in the same way. And so you've got a neighbor who says, I can understand that perhaps you're feeling fine, but how can you tell me when I'm looking at my daughter who's never had a nosebleed that all of a sudden after this happened, it's nosebleed after nosebleed after nosebleed, nausea, whatever the case may be. How do you then tell me that what my family is experiencing is not valid? I I know how I feel. I know what's happened to me. I know what's happened with my family. If... They don't want to believe it. They, I mean, I, I can show medical records, all my results of everything. So I don't, you know, it doesn't bother me if you don't believe me. I know what it is. I know. And it's so different than a natural disaster when, you know, if you see a tornado rip through a town, you see all the houses right. torn apart. But something like this, you just don't physically see it. You don't. Much. You don't. But every single time you hear that train, you really get a sense of just how present those trains are, how close they are. It's not something that you can escape. Each time, every time I saw the train like this running behind my building, I feel scared now. So I can understand why you've got some folks there who feel as though, you know, the rail industry has done what they can. You want to go, go. But for those of us who want to stay, who are happy here staying, you should be doing more to support the community and let us live our lives. You know, one year in, uh, I was just telling someone this earlier, you know, either you can have like a victim mentality or have like a victor mentality. You can't choose the cards that you're dealt. I wish that February 3rd and the train derailment didn't happen, but it did. So I just choose to be optimistic and to uh, move forward. It's a really interesting look. Jason, thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. One Thing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Paolo Ortiz and me, David Rind. Our senior producer is Fez Jamil. Our supervising producer is Greg Peppers. Matt Dempsey is our production manager. Dan DeZula is our technical director. And Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of CNN Audio. We get support from Haley Thomas, Alex Manasseri, Robert Mathers, John D. Nora, Lenny Steinhardt, Jamis Andres, Nicole Pesaru, and Lisa Namorow. Special thanks to Katie Hinman and Wendy Brundage. We'll be back on Sunday with another episode. 
talk to you then.